Hello folks, and welcome to another exciting installment of A Star to Steer Her By. Today is episode two, where we will be covering the two pilots of Star Trek, the original series. Whoa. I know, right? That, of course, is The Cage, which uh, features Captain Pike, as well as Where No Man Has Gone Before, which is the first production appearance of Captain Kirk. And eventually is used as episode three. Yes. So, yeah, we are not going in complete order. Uh, we are starting with with episode three, which is technically the second pilot. I guess I should introduce myself again. I am Jake. I am joined by... Caitlin. Ames. And Chris. So, without further ado, this is... A star to steer her by. So, two pilots. Better than one? Mmm, you know, I always fly on planes that only have one pilot. Ah. That's a joke, because most planes do have two pilots. Generally speaking, it's yeah. one of those little I tiny hope it's pilots. Sulu. Mm. Yeah, so two pilots for Star Trek. Um, what Does anybody know offhand the history of why there are two pilots? I have a little bit, actually. Okay. Uh, so the first pilot was screened to NBC in February of 1965 and rejected because they thought it was too cerebral and they didn't think there would be a fan base for it. Hmm. But I guess Desilu Productions and Lucy Lucille Ball herself said, "Make let them make another one unprecedentedly. Let them make another one because we like the idea so much that we'll let them do it." And then they did. They screened "Where No Man Has Gone Before" to NBC in February of 1966, and it was accepted. Either, either they liked the idea or they had sunk so much money into the pilot. Oh, no, yeah. they did. They they're like, we so have to make money. this work. Let yeah. them do it again. Well, I mean, like, clearly so much stuff is reused yeah. In, yeah. in Where No Man Has Gone Before after the cage. Yeah, the cage cost $630,000. Wow. In which is enormously big. In 1964... Yeah. That's a huge amount yeah. of money for a, for a single episode of TV. I think a little bit of it was that they kind of wanted to make make all the Star Trek producing team and design team and all of their various teams prove that they could actually make the series work. Mm. Like, we're going to make you guys do the hardest pilot that you've pitched to us with the most worlds and the most alien things and the most stuff so that we're sure that you guys can make the sets and make the costumes every week. I don't know. That's that's a little bit of what I think on that. And how, how much did it cost them in 66? In uh, I didn't write down that one. I think it was around half. Sorry, the, the original one then. Sorry. Oh, Another the cage. Was, yeah, the cage cost $630,000. The second one, of course, cost much less because they reused... The costumes, they reused the ships, they reused a whole lot. All the sets, the models. How much, Chris? How much is that in today dollars? $4.68 million in Mm. 2016 dollars. Jesus Christ. I mean, I guess that's nothing. For a pilot. I guess that's nothing. For a shitty pilot. Like... For a well, shitty pilot. I, uh, that, that's a good way to launch into it. Why is I the I mean, the, produ- the production value. We're, like, I don't know. I think for 1965... Ooh. The production value of the cage. I mean, the special effects for, you know, 
yeah, on a big budget Hollywood film, you know, like Jason the Argonauts, you had some, you know, there's some pretty cool visual effects, but you know, the 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 transporter, while it looks shady to our eyes, you imagine seeing that on TV in the sixties, oh, yeah. like it blew Holy people shit, away. People out. Mm. But I don't know. Kate, I'm interested in what Caitlin was gonna say about it being shitty. Well, I mean, I guess like I didn't, I didn't really think they were like that bad. But Chris and I kind of talked about this when we were watching them, and what what sort of I think struck us that we were mentioning was that they were both like really downer episodes. Both pilots were like super like sad and dark and macabre kind of. And for me, it's so different from what the show would become because it's sort of like a happy-go-lucky adventure time and both pilots were just felt really like dreary and kind of like i don't know see i've seen probably the least the original series of, of us at this table and considering i've seen a lot more of tng and deep space nine um which are a whole which are i think are very cerebral most of the time which get kind of downery sometimes and have a I think com- comparatively less adventure on a new planet, monster of the week kind of feel. I feel like the cage and where Nome has gone before represented a bit, uh, you know, a, a good deal of what we'd be seeing in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. I think you know, yeah, you're 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 absolutely right, Caitlin. That that they are, especially the cage is it's. It's it's actually very hard sci-fi, you know. Yeah. It is it is with the exception of the warp drive stuff. Yeah, but it's 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 really good though. I think yeah. as a sci-fi story, like if if you told me if you'd read me that script and been like, you know, Ray Bradbury made this or you know Phil Swoon. K. Dick, I'd be like I'd totally buy it because it's it's you know the story is is original. It's good. It's cool. But yeah, I think what the what that pilot lacked, and 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 to a certain extent also, actually no, to I think completely as well as uh, with uh, where no man has gone before is, and and you know sort of like the you know in the witch's brew that is Star Trek, you know that like last ingredient that like makes it go poof and turns it into magic. That's you know what I'm talking about though. You know whenever they're it's making like a, a tongue of newt. You yeah, know. exactly. Yeah. The, the tongue of newt, so to speak, of <laughs> of, uh, of Star Trek is the humor and the and the fun and you know the the banter, the the, the spirit of exploration, not just. Yeah, but I feel like they have that though. You know, I the, think the spirit of exploration is there, except you know at the beginning of of Cage when they're like, "Hey, we found this really exciting thing, Captain Pike," and he's like. I'm gonna yeah, quit my job. Uh, I'm, gonna I'm, go, gonna I'm, gonna go, I'm going for a nap. Uh, let's just go. Let's on with the on with the mission. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to. I have a thought on that, but I, I want to say first. I think part of it. I said this when we finished. Where no man has gone before. What they're missing, I feel like, is bones. Yeah. Ooh. He's really what ends up making it. I think he. I feel like he's the final bit they really needed. Mm. But I feel like we'll get to that because I feel like for now we should let's he, focus on just the cage. Sure, sure. Sure. And then we'll move into where no man has gone before. Absolutely. Well, jumping off of your doctor idea, you didn't like the doctor Coom bartender in the cage. He has that amazing fucking line, but. What was the line? Oh Christ! Um, did you write it down? I didn't write anything down. Oh, where he's like, um, Do we we both have the same kind. Oh of yeah, we both have the same kind kind of um, customers. Customers, the living and the dying. Mm. Yeah, something like, yeah. It's but but yeah, the cage. I think um, I'd I'd say the the most obvious place to start is Captain Pike. 
Mm. Yeah. So this is this is our original Captain Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter. Hunter. Which was a stage who, name, and I forget who his name. I read. Name. I didn't realize this, but he Engelbert actually died. I know. Tragically. Whoa. Uh, Four years later. In in what happened to be, I believe, like a week before the last episode of Star Trek aired. Oh my God. Weird. So he, you know, he did the pilot. Evidently, by the time it was, they were going to do the second pilot. He'd already. You know, his wife was like, "We're not doing more of this yeah. crazy Star Trek." He prefers stuff. movies. Everyone, yeah, yeah his, movies he, that will eventually kill him. Wait, so uh, how did he die? I think uh, he fell down the stairs. What I what I read because I looked this up because I was surprised to see the the date of death on his wiki article, and I looked that up, and he was filming in Spain for some movie. I forget which one, and there was supposed to be an an explosion in a car, and the car was supposed to explode outwards and it accidentally exploded inwards oh, Jesus. and he, oh, he got well this is this comes later uh and he got a or he may he may have had like stroke like symptoms and a while later weeks later i forget he like had a fall in his house and mm. cracked his skull jesus Christ. and star trek is macabre <laughs> i know real life if, is if he had more. stuck with star trek he may have lived but would star trek have lasted Ooh, interesting. <laughs> that felt like. Have you ever seen the those like thousand and one way to, ways to die shows where they get D list celebrities? They're terrible. Like, I love. But you just felt like the closing of one of those stories. Like if he had stuck with Star Trek, he may have lived. Yes. <laughs> but I guess the thing that struck me. I remember one of the first things I thought was really thinking. So I'd, I'd seen this before. I'd seen the Menagerie and the Cage on its own, but. Looking back now, you realize, you look at Jeffrey Hunter, and I feel like he's much more, like, just in appearance, a 60s TV leading man. He's, he's got that big square head, the swept back hair. Yeah, like Those and... blue eyes. Yeah, like Shatner, for, for anything else you can say about him, was a little... Rounder. <laughs> Fatter. Not what I was going Not for. Vader. There. I mean, Shatner, like Shatner was a very <laughs> handsome man. Yes, but yeah. and that's right. He didn't I have those features. To his credit, yeah, he didn't have those typical sort of late sixties big square you head know, Jeff, features. Jeffrey Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah. Jeffrey Hunter looked like Archer in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh like my God, you're right. Yeah. You know, I think you know. Right down to the blue eyes. It, it's it's you cannot talk about Star Trek without William Shatner as in you know in your mind. So. Yeah, and I think, and I think, what, even if you want to, right? And, and you know, as, as much as people sort of rag on Shatner and you know, you know, his style of acting, I'll say, you know, I think that he brought so much to that role in terms, mm-hmm. just in terms of you know, his characterization of Kirk, yeah. his eccentric style. You know, I think when you're seeing someone that's more of a straight laced actor that's performing the role. You know, it's it's a different yeah, sort Hunter of Hunter was very serious. And I think even uh, Nimoy mentioned, like, he made his Spock more, like, lighthearted to counter the captain's seriousness <laughs> in the cage. And then it flip-flopped when we got to the next pilot. And Shatner came in and actually had a personality. Right. Oh. Well, I think, the, the, and I kind of wonder, you know, how much of it was Hunter and how much of it was the script? Because we were kind of talking about this, mm-hmm. like, a, a sort of a, a mistake I think it sort of makes is it starts you, it's not... Clear. I don't think I realized this until the, we watched it this time, and I've seen this a couple times now. We're almost starting in tabula rasa, for lack of a better term. Like, there's some little throwaway lines that you can almost miss about the fact that right before this episode opened, they just went through some big, awful fight somewhere. Rigel, mm-hmm. I think. They cut a scene, I think. Yeah, you're saying that. 
You know, you said there's little signs. A few of the crewmen you see have bandages on their hands or on their necks. You said Spock has a limp, apparently. Yeah, so the first scene that we were supposed to see was them, like, coming back from the battle and sending off the wounded to go back to base, whatever the terminology is that I don't know, um, and firing their pilot, I think, who fired on friendly aliens. And Spock has a limp because they've got back from battle, and the helmsman has a bandaged hand because whatever happened in the battle. So that if you see Spock limping later in the episode, it's never explained why. Mm. But because you start with this, this sort of, it, and again, it's easy to miss. But so that's really kind of the reason Pike is in a really bad mood. He's lost okay. some men. This terrible thing has happened. He wants to quit. Yeah, that and explains and, it. Yeah, and it's like it's so easy to. I like this is the first time I caught this, and it's the not the first time I've seen this episode. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know it would have been hard, I think, because this is how we meet Pike. Had they retained him as the captain, would he have been able to shake this first impression of I'm kind of a grumpy Gus, mm. um, with my with my moody bartender doctor i mean it was a very dark opening yeah i mean it almost it's almost like you know to make another pop culture comparison it's like mash in space but the movie mash you ever ever see the movie mash oh yeah i love the movie it's a very serious war drama um the show is way better and and funny and you know serious still but but funny but i feel that you know so much of star trek is based you know at least subconsciously on roddenberry's experiences in the war you know and i think he was trying to envision sort of a brighter future but it's still sort of couched in that post-war mindset i guess yeah and i mean we're only at this point what 20 years removed from the end of world war ii Mm. You know, I mean, it's in the living memory of a lot of the cast, crew, writers, you know. It, I mean, it would influence popular culture for a long, long time. Of course, Korea was still fresh enough in people's minds that they actually, you know, remembered it. I'll admit my history is terrible. I don't know what exactly the Vietnam War was doing at this point, but and it had certainly... Well, yeah, 64, we were... We were there. Escalated. I'm not sure how aware the American public was at we, that we'd, point. We'd been in, in Vietnam, I think. I want to say we got there in the 50s? I, uh, I feel like it was during Kennedy that we actually started sending yeah. uh, the the peacekeepers over there. Yeah, but I, but I don't think by '65 it was quite the like on TV mass protest thing we think. Yeah, of that, Vietnam that, that, yeah, that came in more toward the end of Johnson. Yeah, so I mean, this is I mean, if anything, it's more World War II, maybe a little Korea. You know, trying to envision a brighter future in a world that you know, like I said, World War II and the way it ended was in living memory. Sure. Just in terms of the the quality of the writing and the quality of the storytelling, you know, irrespective of sort of the tonal differences, I, I think I think I think Cage is really good. I think it's for me anyway. It's it's Star Trek, you know. Yeah, I agree. Having not seen it in a while, I was surprised because I think the last time I probably saw any of it was The Menagerie, which does it a big disservice by the way it cuts it up. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised by how good the story was. I mean, there are other elements that maybe you're like, I don't know if this all quite works. Smiling Spock, for one thing. Oh, he loved those those singing leaves. Oh, I love the sound leaves. Oh, that was so cute. Spock's eyebrows were really creepy in this episode. They were very bushy. People didn't like him. They they were like... They thought he looked too satanic. Speaking of, of characters that, you know, obviously Spock is the only character that carried over into Mm. the actual series but what i thought was very interesting and especially for the time was the 
female first officer. Oh, number one. Number one. Number one. Played and, by Mar- Majel Barrett. Correct. Um, I love number one. Yeah, and you know, I I think I read somewhere that at least in part that was some that was one of the things that the studio didn't like about the pilot was was they didn't think that the female first officer would play. I yeah, couldn't it wouldn't surprise tell. me. I couldn't tell if, if reading people's um, reception of the episode, if they didn't like number one or if they just didn't like Majel Barrett. Yeah, I mean, Majel Barrett's acting... But it's also odd for the character. <laughs> well, the character was supposed to essentially be what a Vulcan is now and to be emotionless and, and logical, yeah. which eventually became Spock's character. Right, maybe maybe they felt that she was too cold. Yeah, that sounds right. But, you know, I, I don't know. You know, So much of this episode is sort of built around how much women love Captain Pike. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. want to bang him, evidently. Yeah, especially his little ginger yeoman. Yeah, yeah. Although, I will give this to both the pilots. All the women wore pants. It's true. It took until the, the, the you know, did this the, proper production. Did the Vina production. character wear pants? Oh, sorry, all the Starfleet women. Oh. Right? Yeah. The uniforms for women had trousers. There were no skirt uniforms yet. Possibly also studio notes. Yeah, I'm willing to bet. Yeah. Well, and let's you be honest. You can't have women walking around in pants. At the end of the day, though, I mean, on the one hand, they were skirts. They also mini skirts, which I feel like there were some studio people might have been like, oh, that's a bit too much leg. Yeah, well, I actually... So, I mean, some may have just been the fact that Roddenberry was a well-known horn I mean, there, there was the... the the slave girl scene, God. which was yeah, the, the surprise. surprise that was yeah, the dancing green lady, all in breasts and. Well, you don't skin. see much of the much of much of the body. You see mostly yeah. like leg and some back. I think. I mean her, yeah. but for again for mid sixties television. That's yeah, surprising. A little bit, a little bit. Well, plus just the idea that like. They were taking this from his memory. I feel like you mentioned this again after we were watching. Like the idea that they were drawing this from his memory and this was somewhere apparently Starfleet had sent him was like this slave girl planet or whatever. Well, I don't know if that's where they necessarily sent him, but he knew about it certainly. And in his little the fantasy the the brain people construct for him, he's in his amazing oh yeah he was like genie's outfit basically. Out, yeah. But one of the people who's apparently a customer is this. The sleaziest yeah, Starfleet sleek. captain you've ever seen. He's in this great... Yeah, I'd like to give it to her. Yeah, huh? in this like Starfleet cardigan. But the implication, and I feel like this probably got retconned at some point, is that originally Starfleet was totally down with the Orion sex slave trade. Well, that's because they actually like being demeaned. Yeah, yeah they say that. Oh, they do. Oh, it's so awkward. They like to be taken advantage yeah, of. Only Earth oh, women were like said. this, eh? Yeah, See, they, they did an amazing job of casting two of the just, like, sleaziest-looking motherfuckers to be Pike's clients in that fantasy. Yeah. This, this scene combined with, like, that really awkward scene where Pike tells number one, like, it would be weird having a woman on the bridge. Oh, yeah, she's giving oh, this not, look, like... not you. I don't think of you as a woman. I, I mean... mean... <laughs> and it's so awkward, and I was just yeah. like, ooh. That is the weird part. The show was, for all that it did have a female first officer, it was much less matter-of-fact about the presence of women on board. It was still this, It was still very much shot in the 60s. Yeah, you know, I know, but I mean, it's fine. It, like, the, the later show, for all that, again, I'm not saying that once you got to the main production, it was, like, totally fine, but it was never made quite as apparent by... Like, you saw more female extras... Mm. Uh, Uhura's presence on the bridge was never pointed out as like, <laughs> broad on the bridge, am I right? Um, um, 
But yes, uh, oh, yeah, on, on the subject of the women, oh god, the women! Oh, I love that line. That's amazing. And, and Nimoy delivers it beautifully because for some reason, even though you know the two women get beamed down to the planet, it's not, oh, our comrades, oh, our co-workers, oh, number one and Rand is her name. No, Janice Rand is Kirk's yeoman. Oh yeah. god, I don't remember Ginger's name. Oh, I don't know if she Colt. Had a her name is Colt. Colt. Wow. Well then. Good memory. I've watched it thrice. Ah. Thrice? Have you watched it? <laughs> Number one, Colt. Nope. The women! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and again, going back to, again, the sort of naval roots, you know, it yeah. would have been for a, for a woman to serve on a, on a, what essentially is a submarine. Yeah. You know. In space. In space. Space In space. the 60s is, oh my goodness, oh. Yeah. But I think the fact that the, the, the later episodes are treated a little more matter-of-factly was... Was good. I don't know yeah. when when we get to episode one, there's still some references, but that's, that's yeah, no, that's I, for I, later. They, yeah, they they it takes time. But yeah, number one was a really like interesting character, and especially on this rewatch, I remember just thinking like it's kind of a shame they didn't end up doing doing anything with her. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Major Barrett comes back as uh, isn't she Nurse Chapel? She's Nurse yeah. Chapel. Yeah. She and then later she's the voice of the computer and the walks on a Troy. I mean, she has lots more to do in Star Trek. But aside yeah. from Gene Roddenberry, oh, <laughs> oh shit, were they? They were married. Oh my, I don't know if they were married before or after. I think Star later. Trek. I yeah, think after. I think it was after. But uh, yeah, so she so she is a Star Trek staple. Mm-hmm. And you know she she's the first first officer in Star yeah. Trek, which is a very interesting. And you know, and I do like that she was played non sexually. You know, mm. it, it, you know to have she like the fact that she wasn't sexualized. I wish they had maybe not pointed out like contrasted her so much with yeah. the other female characters who has such a an unusual female drive. Right, oh, exactly. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, she's a real whore, that one. I'm just going to play 60s guy every now and again where I say really fucked up things. Good to see you, 60s <laughs> that I, that, guy. That I can imagine <laughs> Jake, men in the 60s saying. Jake's like, yeah, no, this is a character. This isn't just me using <laughs> what's, uh... what's your excuse going to be when we get to 89? <laughs> oh. Wait till we get to the to the Nazi planet. Oh Jesus! <laughs> um, so what about our you know first ever? I don't call them villains. Antagonists. The the, the, the brain, brain people, people. The Telosians. Thank butt, you. The buttheads. The buttheads. They do have big buttheads. The the first draft Ferengi. Years later, they just turn it around, poof up the ears, boom. Yep. I think they're pretty cool, actually. You know. They're pretty cool. I think their plan is entirely flawed. Yeah, but so. What was their plan exactly? <laughs> Very confusing. Like, they had a zoo, but they also wanted my, to repopulate well, so the was Ark in space. My understanding was, like, they were... They had the zoo because they were searching for a species that they felt would be best suited to repopulate their surface yeah. and build a new civilization for them. Because, because they've weakened themselves to such a degree because they're so involved with all these illusions they keep creating that they forget to, like, grow muscles to lift things. Yeah, and they also, like, forgot how to use and build and repair their own technology and this and that. Because understandably, they can make all... You know, they don't just use these illusions on the people. It's their own... They get caught up in their own fantasies, too, and this is sort of what led them to being these weird little butthead people. Listen, listen. They've been busy playing Rocket League. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think think they're cool villains. Their plan doesn't 
really make a lot of sense. It's a little strange. If you need, if you need an Adam to spawn with your Eve, and a, and a spaceship comes down to scope things out, you should just grab all of them. Is my thought. Well, yeah, and for a super intelligent species, do they know nothing about genetic diversity and how after like yeah, two really. generations, the offspring that's just gonna go wrong. It's gonna not be good. I, the, the offspring will probably be sterile. Yeah, when they when they gave Pike choice between three women, I was literally like ready to say, take all of them and steal a couple of the other men while you're at it. Yeah, yeah, we really need this gene pool is quite shallow. Very telosians. I will say, too, the one thing is, like... Because you were saying originally they were crab monsters, apparently? Oh, yeah. the, the Very early in the scripts, they wanted to be crab monsters, and they, they removed that because, A, it would have been more expensive than the $630,000 they were already spending. Jesus. And also because they were afraid that it would just make them another monster of the week kind of, sure. kind of show. I feel like at least that, though, would have lent some credence to the end where we see Vina. Vina's true form, and it's like she's just all bent and warped, and they're like, she's never never seen seen a human. It's like, aside from the bulbous fucking head, the skeletal structure's identical. You couldn't have guessed? Yeah. You dumb bastards. Worst, worst puzzle put togetherers award I mean, the cram the corner pieces in and the rest are going to work fine. I suppose maybe the implication is they put the skeleton together right but they did something wrong with the muscles and organs and over the years they're just like well got this going on now. I have my lung in my shoulder. <laughs> this is weird. Oh god. <laughs> I mean but they knew they were able to make her look normal in the illusion so why oh. couldn't? So they obviously could well, tell they, what she was supposed to. By look then, like. they've seen they can, the other humans from the Enterprise. No, though. they they can read minds though. Like yeah. they've been so reading she, her mind for eighteen years. And she was an adult when she crashed. And she was an adult when they so, when she crashed. Yeah. And they've not figured out what humans are like. Yeah. Again, it, it has to be that they put something together wrong internally in the not skeletal sense, and that's what caused the weird. Growth. Maybe it's just very hard for them to rebuild a person. Maybe. Maybe it's not, maybe it's well, the thing, not I would have, trivial. I would have taken that as an excuse, but they did specifically say it was because they'd never seen a human she's yeah. all fucked up. And you're just like, mm-hmm. you could have just said she was a mess and they didn't have the equipment. Mm-hmm. You already established that they forgot how to do practical well, things. They didn't have the equipment, that's why they needed Pike. Ah. Ah. They needed Pike's Pike. Ah. Ah. Yeah, that's a dick joke. At one point during the recreated fight on Rigel, though, I think he does uh, have a pike at one point, and I was very happy about that. <laughs> like, they don't make a point of mentioning You're it. You're like, take it, get a spear! Yes, get, get a spear! A pike. Uh, oh, pike. I wonder, since, sorry to like go back, but you know how you were talking about the gene pool? Sure. Okay. Since they obviously knew about Adam and Eve... Wonder if they had just read the Bible and thought they'll just beget generation to <laughs> generation. So it worked fine once. They're six day creationists. That <laughs> 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 could be. And here is the bird monsters. <laughs> we will load them two by two onto the ark. It's a much more interesting arc. <laughs> oh, Christ. That's actually a really interesting point. Like maybe. Maybe the, the the ship that crashed was like a ship of fundamentalist Christians. Oh, so like all of their onboard literature only supported a creationist view. Well, all they need to do is read people's mind. If, if, if Vina knew the mythology, they could read her mind and be like, yes, this is what we like. Yeah. I, I you know, Ned, you make me wonder, for all the like, you know, planet, Nazi planet and 
Chicago gangster planet, and apparently there's like a 19th century London planet at one point. Mm. Did they ever do a fundamentalist Christian planet? Like, I'm sure they've done allegories, but did they ever have the balls to just out and out have, this was a planet colonized by some right-wing lunatic Christians, have at it. I, I, I want to watch that episode, but I don't think it exists. Yeah, no, again, I, I don't think they'd want to risk pissing off that population. I mean, they, they risk pissing off a lot of people. Yeah, but no one minds if you piss off a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. Or a true. Chicago gangster. Or an Irishman, if you ever watch Up the Long Ladder, which is a TNG episode where they have like these like these Irish farmers, and they're uh, it's it's a little it's a I little thought, out there. I thought you were gonna say the one where uh, Kirk is shown an illusory version of his old academy bully, who's a got a terrible brogue. Oh God, it's no. so bad. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, we're probably gonna yeah, it's, 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 his name's later. like Finnegan or something. It is. Is it, it is? It I looked him up the other day. Fucking Finnegan. Yeah. Um, ah, the cart, I challenge you to fisticuffs. That's basically what it is. It's really bad. Point. We'll it's get to that episode and find out. potatoes. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really, I think overall the cage is a very good first effort. Yeah. Um, like, I think you could have probably built a series off the back of that. Although, like I said, it might have been... Not impossible, obviously, but it might have been a little hard for them to shake that slightly more dour first impression from from Pike. Mm. And overall, I think that might have affected the tone as a whole. Like, it did seem to want to be a bit more like... Like, I, I know Kirk... Kirk. Pike is supposed to have implied to have been kind of out of his funk by the end. But, I, you know, I still, there's like that feeling that he would have been much more serious always anyway. And would that have worked would it would it have been as beloved i mean um, it might have worked for a series but i don't i i don't think you have star trek without the spock kirk mccoy trio yeah and it's not just it's not specific you know it's not specifically leonard nimoy william shatner deforest kelly it's that dynamic i mean you have you know spock's the straight man you yeah. have mccoy who's the foil and and you know, Kirk, who's sort of the ringleader of this of this little thing. Well, and without Kirk and Spock, we wouldn't have Slash as we know it, certainly. <laughs> Very true. Who do you think would have been the first Slash couple if it weren't Kirk and Spock? Uh, I mean, it certainly wouldn't have been Dr. What's his? Snope. I don't know. Drinks a lot and weird. Pike. Because there was, there was definitely no 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 sexual spark between Pike and Spock, so it wouldn't have been them. Yeah, and all the other crew people... Spock and the helmsman guy, maybe. Yeah, but so. yeah, I felt like all of the other crew crew people, you know, beyond other than, like, number one, the Doctor and Spock, were all, like, that fresh face, like, gee willikers, kind of we're generic. heading out to space. Like, I literally actually cannot remember what the helmsman looked like. I feel like it was maybe blonde? Maybe blonde. He was. Very... He was, he was Sandy-haired, yeah, he was fairly, he was young and generic. Very forgettable. I think his name was Torres? Maybe. Like, in my mind, him and Kelso looked exactly alike. Yeah, they're You could tell the me same. they were the same actor, and I believe they're you. They're basically, they might as well be. Yeah. Sorry to those two guys, whoever the hell they were. I'm sure they're listening. I mean, I, I, just in case, you never fucking know. Can we talk about how they, no. in the very last moment of the episode, before the credits roll, they, like, strike a pose on oh the my bridge? God. There's, yeah. like, this guy that wanders into the frame and, and stops it. <laughs> like, you can tell the director was like, okay, I want you to stop, stop to this mark, stop, and freeze. And, like, he took it so literally that he, like, marches into scene, stops, 
And then it's like you hear like the the bong goes. Oh yeah, and then they do, yeah they like just show the ship flying through space while the theme plays for like 10, 15 seconds, which in TV terms is a fucking eternity. Yeah. Oh, the warp. The warp. Er, that was earlier in the episode. Yeah, but that was that, amazing. I really, I'm glad they never did that again. Oh God, no. But so. Yeah, and it, it took ages. It felt like yeah. it was so long. It was so long of watching Christmas lights. As they sort of faded in and out on the crew. Yeah. And not even like Just a good random shot. It was literally the same like two second loop of yeah. going through Christmas lights. And everyone just and then just, they overlaid it on top of the crew in the ship for a bit. It was like, what? Is and that they're thing? just kind of sitting there looking sort of like neutral, like they were waiting for the director to say action. Mm. Yeah. So they could. So. Uh, God, what a terrible idea that was! Thank God they scrapped it. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's all, but like you know, like I was saying, you know, all of the basic ingredients of Star Trek are there. Yeah, they just don't. It's just not quite right. It's, it's like yeah. if there was, it's like Bizarro Star Trek. Yeah, a little, little. The only thing missing was Captain Kirk, DeForest <laughs> Kelly, and aluminum contact lenses. Maybe. Ooh, <laughs> my favorite. Are we are we segueing into where segue? no may, man has gone before? No, it was a terrible segue, but you should still jump on it and ride on over. Yeah, there no, we I, go. So uh, yeah, where no man has gone before, uh, we are reusing basically everything from the first one, although they've added more color to the bridge. Everyone's still in beige and yellow and blue, though. Yeah, although they did clearly make new shirts for Kirk and Spock, because theirs were completely slightly brighter yellow and a different collar. Hmm. Oh. Everyone else was in leftover uniforms from where no man has gone before. I mean, fuck me, the, the cage. cage. Yeah. Speaking of color, I'm sorry to, to jump back to the cage real quick, but does anybody else, maybe you, Chris, because you've watched it when you were a kid, but do you remember the cage being... Like half in black and white when you were a kid. I'm pretty sure I had it on tape. I think you're thinking of the Wizard of Oz, Jake. No, no I think I think he's got something. I was I trying. Think what to, happened? I is... forget what happened. What I think what what I've read is some of the shots they gave to the menagerie. They didn't have other copies of or something, or they lost the original copies and had to use the menagerie shots and just used black and whites of the rest because they lost oh, it. That makes sense. And then eventually found them and released them again on. DVD. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. I could be slightly wrong, They're but, lucky they but found I found them and didn't just had, didn't hadn't just taped over them, <laughs> a la Doctor Who in the sixties. Right. Is that what happened? Yeah, oh, a no. lot of a lot of stories were completely just like taped over because the film was expensive. Yeah, no, the BBC destroyed not just a lot of old Doctor Who, a lot of you can look it up. There's whole articles about it. Most of like late fifties, early sixties British television is just gone. Hmm. Um, because they just taped over crap. It's it. You look at what was lost, and it's really a little sad. I mean, you know, it's television, but still, I'm sad. But uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense though for why. Because I definitely remember like there were huge chunks of the cage when I watched as a kid that were in black and white, and I always mm. thought it was funny they would flip back and forth. Yeah, I think there was a while when audiences <coughs> saw it in color and thought they just colorized the black and white, and they said, "No, no, we actually have the color footage." Now. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought for a second, but I'm like, no, the color's too good to have been colorized. <laughs> yeah, color is doesn't color look, doesn't especially look in the eighties. It always yeah. looks yeah. off. Yeah, off. Right. Anyway. even now it doesn't look good though. Like, have you seen they've done like. More recently, they did colorizing of like the monsters, and it's horrible. Yeah. It's awful. Like, be glad you've not seen it. It's bad. Yeah, it's weird. You don't want it. But anywho, sorry anywho. to have derailed us. No, that's interesting. I was just, I was just curious if anybody remembered that. But mm. it sounds like I might have been right. That's interesting. Yeah, it was, it, yeah they they start to add a bit more color. 
Uh, like I so said, the bridge handrail there went from black to red. I don't know if they painted the turbo lift door red at this point, but they might have. And they added more red to the uh, consoles. They I hadn't, hadn't added, added the red departmental shirts yet. That no, would take hadn't. for the show proper. Yeah, and you know, I think that's interesting. You know, between between the cage and where Nomad has gone before, you know, you have that expanding of the palette. You know, it's it's as if they anticipated during. You know uh, the cage that most of the viewers would probably still be on black and white, so they were using more contrasting colors, but not necessarily more you know a wider gamut. You yeah. Know? Hmm. And then once they got to where no man has gone before, you know that's a little later, and more color TV sets had been selling more, so yeah. they're like, oh well, now we have to take advantage of of color as well as the contrast. Well, there's this um. There's this Omni Magazine article, which we actually, uh, you can find a link to it on our Facebook page. And it's, it's an older one. They were talking to the costume designer for Star Trek The Motion Picture. And he said in that that, you know, he'd heard sort of, the, so this is all, you know, third hand basically, but that one of the things the network wanted as the show developed was, was more color because they were aware that more people were buying color televisions, so that could very well be the reason they moved from the more muted yellows and blues to a brighter yellow and blue, and again, added the whole range of red for the uh, operations center teams. Also, not to mention that Star Trek having aired on NBC, which I believe at the time would have been owned by GE, had a vested interest in selling color TVs, perhaps. True. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Buy our product. See yeah. the entire crew in different colors. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure like the original, you know, so many shows in the 60s and, and definitely Star Trek as well would say, you know, in color. Yeah, that was, it's like when we were kids, it was in stereo. Yeah. No, it was uh, also in Technicolor when we were kids, I feel like. I think it was just reruns of the old stuff, though. Oh, maybe. Like, the big thing was stereo, and then, like, Dolby stereo. And I actually remember when I was a kid watching reruns of Green Acres on Nick at Night, and there was an episode about alien invasion, and there was the punchline at the end was that the uh, pot-bellied stove in their house turned green. And as it happens, of course, I'm watching it in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, so I obviously have a colored television, but text popped up on the screen... Because this would have been the earlier to mid-60s at this point. And it literally said, For those of you with black and white televisions, mm. the stove just turned green. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, so that they wouldn't lose the punchline. Because it was, comp- like, no, it was, the stove was, you know, it was a sign everyone left the room and it changed colors. There was no one to go, Whoa! <laughs> so they just literally subtitled a joke that didn't have dialogue. Have you ever seen, there's a picture, I'm not sure if it's from the Munsters or the Adams Family, but there's a photograph, a color photograph of their living room. That's the Adams Family living room. It's bright pink. It's bright pink. Everything is pink. Because the show was in black and white, so they so they just had to paint it in these very high contrast colors that, that would, re, you know, that would re- record well on the black and white emulsion. Yeah. And it just so happens that bright pink and like green yeah. are like really good contrasting colors in for mm. black and white. So That's so funny. There's a really there's photographs of like some of these old TV sets like the Adams family that are like, "Wow, that I would not expect the the Adams family living room to look like John Waters living room." How yeah. sad do you think Tim Burton was when he found out about that? Mm. <laughs> here's a here's an anecdote talking about color. Can I get an anecdote corner? Anecdote corner. Love that. 
Um, this goes back to the cage, so sorry if I'm jumping back. But okay. apparently, when they were doing test makeup for the Orion Slave Girl, they tested the makeup on Majel Barrett because she was around, and they put green all over her, and they shot her on the film. And whenever they get the film back, she would still look not a bright enough green. So they did this for like three days of painting a girl green, sending it to the film department and it coming back because the film department wasn't aware oh she was God. supposed to be green and they were desaturating the color. <laughs> Wonderful. And this is back, you know, I mean, they had to spend money on all that. They couldn't just delete the file and start That's over. A lot, there's a lot of time painting a girl green. I wonder how much that $6 million was just those fucking makeup tests. Because film Oof. and development are not fucking cheap. Sure, and, spend, and color correction. You yeah, know, that's, especially back then. You know, then. now, you know, if you want to turn somebody green, you just slide the hue slider a yeah. little over. But back then, you know. Fix it in post. Yeah. yeah. God. Fuck that. But yes, to... Uh, where no man has gone before. Um, yeah, which has more different colors on people, namely the eyes. Yes, mm. the crazy, horrible oh, silver eyes. Oh, Jesus. I feel so bad for yeah, that tell, actor. Yeah, tell, tell, tell that story, because oh, that was that's... horrible. I mean, this is less of an anecdote corner. Anecdote corner. And more of a simple fact, but the less like simple an fact. abject horror corner. Yeah, they took tinfoil and put it between two lenses, two contact lenses, uh, and used that in... The two actors' eyes. And the poor, poor whoever played Gary Mitchell. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mitchell did not take well to it, which is why he looks physically pained for most of the episode. <sighs> the girl, Daner? Daner's Doctor. Doctor Daner? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Doctor Daner. Apparently she she took better to the to the contact lenses, could take them in and put them in, take them out well enough. Our our good friend Mitchell was having a lot of yeah, trouble. He didn't with look them. great. I could see in many shots that he looked like he was tearing yeah, up. His eyes were just really oh, watery the whole I, time. He's lucky he didn't go blind. He had to like look down, like down his nose at the camera most of the time because he couldn't open his eyes. I will say, it, it, though, it ended up weirdly working because he's supposed to think he's a higher being now anyway. So him constantly being like. Yeah, staring you, down. You use it as character motivation. Yeah, I am in such pain. <laughs> 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 this is not worth the shitty pay I'm getting. <laughs> I am a god. Yeah, do uh, not envy did, them. He didn't even get a recurring role out of it. No, they oh, dropped a giant you know, fucking rock on him. He got him. dead. Yeah, this was... A rock um, and a misspelled tombstone. <laughs> a uh, lot, of, lot of death in, in this episode. Twelve total? Twelve yeah. total dead. Um, that many. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So is does that now? Uh, there were a bunch of deaths in this episode, obviously, but Kelso, right? Who's like the helmsman? Yeah. Who gets who gets hosed in the neck? Who gets who gets who strangled. gets strangled from behind? Does that kind of make him the first red shirt? I think so. Is is uh, is Kelso? Because he's a named character. He has yep. a name. Yeah. You think he's gonna be fine because he's got a name. Yeah, and then and then he gets it. Yeah, you know, if 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 I didn't know Star Trek, and that you know, and that was the first episode I was seeing, that which, might have been surprising. Yeah, you know, I'd be like, holy crap, this character that's a named character who's had yeah. a he lot had, of lines. He has a job on the ship, yeah. like Mitchell and and Daner did, and all three of them get offed. Yeah. Who's yeah. writing this shit? George R. R. Martin for Christ's nope. sake. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I'm gonna admit, having not seen this one in a while, like I forgot he got it and was mildly, oh shit, they killed Kelso. Fuck. <laughs> you bastards. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what? Who will Eric talk to now? Oh, <laughs> I get it. Red Foreman. <laughs> we just need to mention him every episode. Yep, now. Yeah, let's work that. 
Um, uh, but that's that's what I was saying, sort of getting at earlier a little bit with this one. It's really the end is very tonally dissonant because it ends with Kirk having to kill an old friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the tension in the episode is Kirk and Spock's or Spock being like, Captain, it's logical to just straight up murder this motherfucker before his mind powers get to be too much. And Kirk's like, what are you talking about, you heartless brute? And then he does finally kill him. And you should end on this sort of sad, somber moment, but they almost try to have a laugh line at the end. Yeah. And you're just like, ooh, that didn't work. And that's when I think that's when it clicked for me. It's like, Bones wasn't here. Yep. Mm. During all those arguments, it would have been Spock being all, you must kill him. And running, are you out of your Vulcan mind, you green-blooded hobgoblin? And Kirk being like, <laughs> I'm torn. You both represent the turmoil happening inside of me. And uh, that's when I was like, oh, he's what's missing. And although, again, the only downside would have been if Doc was there, they would have just had a full-blown laugh line and that the ending really would have been fucked. Mm. Or alternately, they would have... I don't know. I, it's just it, it is so bleak where he's just, I just murdered an old, old friend... And now I'm going to try to quip with my first officer. You're just like, ooh, that doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess two, two thoughts on, you know, sort of related to that. First of all, I think even for Spock, his jumping to the uh, let's kill him yeah. was very quick. It <laughs> yeah. was very quick. It was like he's been like, he's like, he's feeling a little under the weather, Spock. Well, we got to get rid of him for the safety of the ship. <laughs> what? Spock? You just get the sense that that version of Spock, you know, someone's walking out, the hall, they sneeze, and he's just like, ah, get the phasers! I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, Spock had not quite accumulated enough experience with humans. Like, like on Vulcan, if you get a tummy ache, it's like, well, his usefulness is over. <laughs> Throw him down the, you know, the... the Into a volcano. The pit of shock retard. That, that's actually where the Romulans came from. A couple people came down with a cold. They were going to tell me, fuck it, we're just going to leave. Yeah, yeah. Fucking psychos. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, an interesting thing, you know, that, that whole aspect. And then connected to, to Gary Mitchell and his death, you know, it's established in this episode, and I think really nicely established... The friendship between they had a really good chemistry. Yeah, they they and they played it up. You know, they talked about Kirk's exploits with women and like you they're know chess a, playing. Yeah, they're they're clearly old friends, which is interesting because that is kind of Kirk's first Kobayashi Maru test, isn't it? Oh, he does have to kill his friend, which is you know, obviously revisited in a major way you know, in Star Trek Two, where he has to. Not kill, but accept the death of another best friend of his. I don't know. I thought, I thought that was interesting. That Gary I, Mitchell's never mentioned again, is he? Nope. <laughs> like, yeah. never once. Is it ever just like, <sighs> like that time with Mitchell? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lose another friend like Mitchell or something, which anything. Is, which is interesting because in Star Trek Star Two, Trek right, which is where the, the Kobayashi yeah. Maru comes up and, and the death of Spock, spoiler alert, yeah. you know, he's that... The film also features Carol Marcus, yeah. who may be alluded to in this episode. I love the little, the little blonde. The blonde, the little blonde lab technician. Lab technician who he almost married. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's, so that's fandom generally considers that was probably Carol Marcus. Interesting cyclical sort of uh, thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, but Mitchell's kind of a douche to, like, mess with someone on that level. Just so that basically Kirk would probably grade him more easily. It's like, that was his whole scheme, was Kirk was his instructor. And it was like, if he's distracted by a love interest, then maybe he'll go easier on me, because Kirk was apparently an infamously difficult instructor. Um, And that's why he he came up with that whole whole scheme. And in the end, Carol Marcus got an A for the class, and she wasn't even in it. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) So I ask you guys this, because I, I, I realized this earlier. The title of the episode is Where No Man Has Gone Before. Regarding what happens in this episode, where has no man gone before? Outside the galaxy? Yeah, like that, is that that's... that the idea? Yeah, that's because that's what causes all this. And I think they're supposed to be the first ship that's trying to go past the galactic yeah. until Until they learn that it's been done before and everyone... Had to self-destruct. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I guess we aren't. We're no, okay. Yeah, I, mean, it's, mm. I think you know. I guess it's the question kind of becomes what actually happened to Gary. Mm. Was it was he possessed by an alien intelligence, or was it just like he broke through some barrier of human capabilities and unlocked this this latent mm. latent power where well, no that's... mind has gone before, right? Well, that's, that's an interesting thing I remember remarking when we watched it was, this is another thing that was clearly dropped, and I'm kind of glad, is that based on the way they talk about ESP in this episode, oh, yeah, they yeah, originally yeah. envisioned it as being a much more matter-of-fact, accepted thing among humans. Mm. Is that like, as time has gone on, maybe we've evolved a little and it's become more and more... They had a specific test score. For yeah, them, like, like that was just, like you have your medical, part of your medical is, what's your ESP rating? Uh, yeah. And part of the reason Mitchell and Daner, Daner are susceptible is because they had very high yeah, ratings. Um, she had like right. a 20 or something. And I th- that's what's so funny, too. Another thing that sort of ends up being retroactively amusing is Spock is so freaked out by the idea of psychics. And over time, the Vulcans will end up being the ones that have weird sort of... I mean, never to the level that Mitchell has them. They don't have full-on Jedi float things powers. But they're the ones who have these weird mental abilities that admittedly end up having to involve at least some physical contact in general. But still, they're the ones with highly advanced psychic brains. Mm. And he's the one being like, fucking espers! <laughs> it's funny, we're seeing both in both in the cage and in this episode a lot of weird mental prob- mental powers in, in people. And we're going to see it very soon in Charlie X as well. I mean, it's a, it's a major theme in Star Trek. We yeah. kind of, we see it a little bit in the in the next one, the man trap as well, which we're yeah. covering next. Yeah, time. it just it's very front loaded with the like. So they're really obsessed with this. Oh, why? Like, what was going on at that time? Like, I one of the things I had thought maybe it might be, so I like looked it up. Was like I thought maybe it's like the Manson murders, maybe that, but no, that wasn't until 1969, so it had nothing to do with it. But like, is it a metaphor for something? Is it like? Oh, we're scared of people with mind powers. Is it like homosexuals? Is it Russians? Is the Klingons it... were the Russians. But I just mean, like, what is it? Like, what does it represent? It can't be nothing, right? Well, I mean, it could be nothing. Well, but... I do think that in the 60s, you know, there was sort of this uh, spiritual awakening in in the general populace and that did involve things like ESP and, and mediums and psychics and things like that really started to come to prominence more, I think, in the 60s. When you say general awakening, do you mean more LSD? Well, I think that's certainly part of it, potentially. I mean, uh, I think in general, that was a time when Americans especially were were far more open to, I guess, metaphysical experiences. 
so I think, you know, that's prob- that's possibly just, you know, what Roddenberry was doing was tapping into something that was that was already part of the zeitgeist. So what's yeah. the commentary here? What do, what do we think about heightened mental power? What do we think about these things? Do we think that they're dangerous and will kill us all? Well, I think I think star I think for you know, and this is true of both where no man has gone before and the cage and many other Star Trek episodes in the original series and beyond is space is awesome. Things are you know all these, you know, strange new worlds and, you know, all this stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome, but it's very fucking dangerous, you know? Mm-hmm. It, like, you have to be tempered. You have to be prepared to make hard choices. And you, not everything you encounter is awesome. And as extraordinary as it's going to be, not everything that you encounter is going to be benign. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Star Trek, as much as it's about exploration, it's also a bit of a cautionary story about knowing your limitations and and you know reaching for the stars but flying too close to the sun yeah mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of that in star trek but at the end of the day it's it's always a lesson learned it's always you know okay well that happened that sucked but you know laugh line yeah but laugh <laughs> laugh line do, 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 free there may be hope for you yet chris <laughs> <laughs> Oh. No, none whatsoever. Uh, what else? What else do we have? Oh, in... you know what else was great? We had our first shirt rip this episode. That's right. Oh, he, it... it took one. I was wondering, like, would he make it through his first? Nope, he does not make it through his first episode. I think we. Shirt. I think we need to start a counter. Yep. Every time a shirt is every... well, especially Shatner. Shatner. Anytime Shatner's shirt is torn or removed, <laughs> mm. we take a drink. Uh, put a little tick we'll mark just make a We'll report on it during like, the during find, the podcast. Can we find a bing sound? Yeah. No, I'm not editing that in. <laughs> I think we should just record like a foley effect of a tearing of, of fabric, <laughs> uh, and that will be the. All right, come here. No, that's a shirt I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a shirt tear. He could not last. It didn't take long. That's one thing. I don't think Hunter ever ripped his shirt. No, I don't think he did either. I mean, even when he was fighting with that weird, yeah, no. like we never saw his bare, glistening chest because it would have been bare and glistening. Oh, so they would have made know. him shave and then oil oiled him up. Yep, yeah. they wouldn't have shaved him. They might have shaved like his lower torso, but he would have had like you know the hair on the pectorals. No, they still it, it took I think until like the seventies for them to stop making men shave before they took their shirts off in movies and TV. Know. I don't know if I'm buying it. No, that was really a thing. They would they would shave. They'd make men shave if they took their shirts off. Uh, for the longest it's, time. It's I just feel like he looks like the kind of man who needs to have some little curly chest hairs. That that wasn't a thing. It just doesn't make any chest, sense. Chest, see this thing. Chest hair is basically pubic hair. And if you show that on TV, it's pornographic. It's Keep basically right. going to work the women the, into a frenzy. This is and, the 60s where they wouldn't let Barbara Eden show her navel. It'd be like a bacchanalia. Mm. Oh, poor Barbara Eden. Why the navel? There's nothing sexy about a navel. It's, well, in my opinion. It was probably the personal fetish of some censor. It's sensor, a hole so. on a woman. Yeah. Yeah, but... That's enough. Lucky they make her wear earmuffs. She she talked with her mouth a lot. There oh, was no problem oh, with that. Oh, oh, uh, we're oh going my goodness, places oh, with this. Oh, so, uh, other, other things we have with Where No Man Has Gone Before... So we, we've got uh, we've got Scotty. You know, he doesn't say much, but he's there. He's the chief engineer. Well, he, I think he's more just the transporter operator. Is he? No, because he's there when they because they call like the department heads to the yeah, bridge. Yeah, he shows up, and then they all awkwardly stand there at the back of the bridge for the rest of the scene. Yeah, they mm. place them in such a way it, it looks like they're on a stage. And yeah, they're it's trying very to bad. Them out. I feel like I felt like we only ever saw him 
operating the transport. That's all we ever saw him do, but I think they did say he was someone technical. See, I, I, you know, I don't know that the roles were necessarily well-defined. They were not. Because, mm-hmm. like, you have Kelso, who's presumably the helmsman, but he's also part of the demo crew that's, like, taking apart yeah. computer panels and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Because there's, there's... Oh, and the other doctor who doesn't get to do much. Yeah. He was... Yeah, thank thank God yeah, they he came up with great. McCoy. So we have Dune, we have uh, we have Takai. Yeah, who's like head of bioscience or something like that. He's there in a blue shirt. Uh, doesn't say much again. It was really just an excuse to get the psychologist on the bridge. Mm. And they just couldn't think of anything better. Let's bring the department heads, including the head of psychology. You know, you know we have an intership comms. Shut up! Bring them all up here! <laughs> I want them to stand awkwardly behind me for the rest of the scene. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we're never doing this again and they didn't yeah but I don't know I thought um, it was nice to see some familiar faces I mean still missing obviously is Uhura Uhura and McCoy, McCoy. and Chekhov who we won't get yeah, for we, a while yeah we Chekhov but, for quite but, some time but uh, and then you know and then some of the, the more he's still a lad you know, the less... Lieutenant Leslie's already there though he is yeah. I spotted like oh look there's a big square head yeah there's Leslie uh, no, um, there is a yeoman character, but it's not But it's not, not Rand. Janice Rand. I think it's a guy, actually. I think he has a male be, yeoman at yeah. first. And, uh, I thought it was Smith. Which one's Smith? I don't remember. I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith. There we go. There we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no Rand. No, uh... Oh, gosh. Um, what's his name? Kyle eventually will show up. Mm-hmm. Who's Kyle? He's another, like, semi-regular supporting character... He's, is he Irish? Well, Irish with air quotes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for with him. Yeah. But it, it, it's getting there. I, I honestly, it's interesting. I'm not sure which was the stronger episode between the two. I think the problem with this one is because you can see the fragments starting to come together, it's a little harder to be objective about. Mm. Yeah. You know, and that, like, if it, if maybe if it was just Kirk and Spock and everyone else was different, which it would one? be easier to be like, you know, like, oh, there's Scotty, but not really, and there's Sulu in the wrong shirt. And... <laughs> which one would you have given the green light to if you were NBC? Oh. Well, I think, you know, if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of NBC in the 60s, mm. uh, I would say that Where No Man Has Gone Before is probably a safer bet because it's, it's less of a cerebral story. It's much more, yes, it is cerebral, but it's also very... I mean, there's a big shootout at the end. Yeah, yeah, you yeah can big relate fist to fight. It. But yeah, I mean, there, like you say, there's a big ending battle. It's exciting. There's, you know, there are women, but they're not in they're not positions. They're not women. Of, they're not in positions of power. You know, there's the first officer of the ship isn't a woman anymore. That's a I'd much weird spaceman. I'd say Dana is in some position of power. Well, she is, but she's also, you know, she's lovely. But she'll never be in the chair. Well, exactly. she keeps getting gaslighted. Also, she's yeah. like, "Well, let me tell you about ESP and how great it is." No, shut up, honey. The men are talking. Well, at one point, <laughs> oh, is she the, right. she's the one that Mitchell calls like a watching, walking refrigerator unit. Oh. Yeah, there's that weird That's sexist awkward. thing. So sexist. Because, you know, in the 23rd century, we're still going to have... The freezer you know, units. You know, men, men making, well, we'll calling women ice have... queens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you sadly, know, that, we that probably will. Happen. will. Yeah, no, we will. Maybe it'll be slightly less common. I feel like I would have really loved it if, you know, because Mitchell says that to... To Kelso or something. I would just love that if, if Kelso was just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> Serious? She's our colleague. Alas, it wasn't She's 60s. smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Uh, and we're paid equally. And then, and, <laughs> why and would that, you say that? And that Assuming would explain we're why Mitchell later kills Kelso. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh at my fucking joke about broads next time, dick. <laughs> you know something that's interesting about this episode, about uh, where, uh, where No Man Has Gone Before, too, is it, it has an interesting parallel with a TNG episode. <gasps> yeah, the nth degree. Looking ahead. Looking ahead, where... Is there a song a song for looking ahead? I don't have a song. It's just me no. whispering into the mic like that. Oh. Where Barkley is no, his, Barkley. his brain he gets his his he's actually caused by an alien intelligence, but he um he gets zapped by some alien probe and it gives Whoa. gives him like superior intelligence and he uses that to take over the ship and downloads his brain into the computer core because of course he's too smart for a human brain so he has to use <laughs> the, the ship and then like yeah i mean it, it's interesting to see i don't know i just i just when i was watching this episode i was like oh yeah this you know this episode does it's got that sort of regular crewman has extraordinary event happen and then becomes extraordinary yeah Except because it, because it's Barkley, he doesn't even get to just get killed at the end. He has to get like flowers for Algernon to back to being a normal, and he'll always know that he was amazing. Briefly, that's a good yeah. reference. Thank you. You know, and the, but the message is he does retain some of his. Oh, does he? Yeah. Well, because he he like sees people playing chess, and he's like, ah, that'll be mate in three moves. Is it tridimensional chess? I believe it was. Is, so what I've you're saying, seen... what you're saying is those aliens are the only reason he was later able to contact Voyager. Perhaps. Mm. Perhaps. We have gone very far afield. We have. We have. So far. Is the chess game that Kirk and Mitchell play in that in... Do they... Kirk and Spock play. Oh, yeah, Kirk, Kirk and, and Mitchell Spock. Later play? No. Yeah, Mitchell, asked, Mitchell asked Asked later how did, how did the game go. Right, that's and right. And Spock's like, oh, he plays so illogically. Yeah. Uh, was that a 3D chess game board? Yep. Yeah, it was well, Was it the same one that... It has the attack boards. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember. Yeah. I don't know if it's in this one, because I didn't think to look for it, but I know at some point in some episode of the original series, keep an eye out, maybe it was this one. There's a 3D checkers board at one point, too. Like, no one plays it, but you see it in the background. That's amazing. It's just like... It's like for when kids are on board. Yeah. <laughs> I swear there's 3D tic-tac-toe, too. Oh. Hmm. That actually could be good, though, because there's so many potential ways to win. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like think Connect Four. I think that's actually just the thing I've maybe even played. Um, Don't lie, you haven't played Space Tic Tac Toe. No, I feel like that was a... <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, Space Chess there from pretty early on. That's good. Uh, eternally uh, associated with Star Trek from here on out. Even mm. though it's it had already been invented yeah. by the Germans. The, on the plus side, though, that means if you want to get a 3D chess board, you can get a non-Star Trek licensed one, so it won't cost you $300 fucking dollars. Wait, are you kidding? It costs $300? I mean, the one you can buy through the Star Trek store, the official Star Trek store, is something like $350. Well, it's also, I mean, it's glass. It's a pretty nice... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not easy to put together. Yeah. But if you don't want to drop that kind of money on what could be a novelty if you end up hating the rules... Right. There are options. Well, what's interesting, you're you know, when I, when I was a kid, you know, my, me and my family, we would go to all these Star Trek conventions, which, you know, if, if you've never been to a Star Trek convention before, it's basically a giant vendor room mm-hmm. and an auditorium where speeches <laughs> and stuff and things like that. Go. I guess it's more like 
any con. Yeah, really. and occasionally an autograph booth. Yeah, and occasionally an autograph line where you have to pay forty dollars for. Well, I think check. interestingly enough, back then, and this is uh, this is early nineties, autographs came with admission for the most part. Well, they oh, fu- wow. as well they fucking should. Yeah, I remember. I remember later they started introducing the idea that you had to pay extra for for autographs but it still wasn't like 40 bucks it's probably it was probably to help get the bigger actors because they could pay them more or they could get paid whereas before it was like if it was just the door cost it would be like we got kyle lieutenant Lieutenant Leslie. leslie and some guy who was in a rubber suit in the cage yeah no there was some actually there was some big you know i have I have autographs from more or less most of the cast of uh, TNG hmm. and a few of the cast. I never got to see DeForest Kelly, I don't think. I never got to see Shatner at a convention, but I did see Nimoy, but he was cranky that day and didn't want to sign autographs, so that was kind of a bummer because Spock was my favorite. Mm. So I, oh, don't, God. I don't actually have Nimoy. That reminds me, There's again, this video is on our uh, Facebook group page. They, I, it's not, I don't think it was recently unearthed, but it was recently renoticed by the internet. A YouTube upload of some awful, awful local news coverage of a 1970s Star Trek convention, and we're talking early 70s, so before the motion picture. And it's only awful because the anchor man they send or the field guy is just the absolute fucking worst, and I so, hope he was so fired. Is, so I watched that video, Chris, and I'm not sure that's local news. I think that might just be some guy and like some college kids that happened to have a camera and want to make so. fun of the nerds. I hope so. I mean, he did introduce himself as being from a channel, but I guess he can lie. I mean, yeah. I mean, go go to our Facebook. But then again, why it. was it saved? If it wasn't a real, well, if it was something that you know they some kids made to goof on people and, and yeah. they you know I saved it and then just unearthed, unearthed it. like cleaning out mom's yeah, yeah. basement or something. Yeah. I, I save everything because yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. It's so unprofessional, so bad. I would not. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I know though. I mean, they were talking the seventies. Wait, so what a, happened? Oh, it just this guy goes around an early seventies Star Trek convention. He's a terrible interviewer, and he can't even get interviews. Like, Dewan and Nimoy were there. But the most he ever gets of them is distant footage of them signing autographs and talking. Actually, it's weird. Doing's got like a goatee, yeah, so weird, it's like mirror weird. universe. Yeah. Doing, God, yeah, and the, the yeah, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, and the the thing that's interest, most interesting to me about that is the costumes because obviously we're talking, you know, you say mid seventies yeah. when there's no licensed merchandise. I'm sure. Yeah, and the woman he talked to was a really good one. Yeah. Hers is like seems screen accurate, practically. Yeah, she she did a, she did a really good uniform, but you know a lot of people are clearly improvising it. Yeah, and that was true even in the '90s at conventions where you know yeah licensed merchandise was around, but it was mostly toys. You know the licensed stuff that they sold was all you know toys for kids. So yeah. if you wanted to like, <laughs> and you know, yeah, oh, I believe me, I know. Um, if you wanted to have screen accurate or even not screen accurate but if you want to have like adult costumes or adult paraphernalia you were either making it yourself or buying it from an artist that made yeah. it and that and that goes back to the 3d chess and i remember they used to sell at these conventions 3d chess boards and they were not 300 dollars; they were like 800 dollars. they were super expensive because they were all handmade right they weren't being by mass, like mass artists and using I hope at least good materials. Then, oh, I'm sure they were. You know, the, the one of the most impressive pieces I remember from these conventions was 
a handmade okudagram. Oh, neat. And, and oh, okudagram is the computer interface. It's also called LCARS. It's the computer yeah. interface that, that is used in Next Generation and later series. The, the touch panels, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically those touch panels, the black touch panels with the glowing... Boop, beep, 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 beep. Yeah. So somebody had basically handmade one of those, and they that did was. It, did it beep boop when you put it? It didn't on beep it? boop. It was just a. It was basically just. You had a, to beep boop yourself. It was basically just a piece of sta- stained well, a glass, of but it looked beautiful. Nowadays, you could make one that would beep boop. Oh yeah. I mean, and, nowadays it's probably apps that turn my phone into that. Yeah, and nowadays, you know, I could if I had a vinyl cutter, I could probably make one yeah. in Photoshop, you know, in ten minutes. But yeah, like I think between gotta get social media cutter. making it easier to find artisans. Easier access to maker devices and the rise of home 3D printing. The world of, of fan-made uh, paraphernalia is getting very elaborate and probably still outpacing a lot of the officially licensed stuff. Yeah, but not to mention, though, that uh, I'm sure if you were selling all that stuff you know, at conventions, there's a chance that you would get hit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's vague how that works. I mean, Viacom and Paramount are, are among the more litigious of the networks out there, I think. But it's, I don't know. It's, I'm not sure if they... Paramount's been pretty cool up until a point, though. I mean, they've allowed fan productions as long as you're not making scads of money. It wasn't until someone made, like, millions of dollars on a peer-to-peer, like, campaign... Was it Indiegogo? Something somebody like Kickstarter yeah, one. It wasn't until somebody made a shitload of money that they were finally like, whoa there. So I think now it's going to be a lot harder to do things like this, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll, I, I guess a lot of it will depend on if Star Trek continues to do well for them. You know, beyond, although it made a fair bit of money, made less than Paramount wanted... Uh, we'll see how Discovery does. I feel like launching Discovery with CBS All Access is a yeah. terrible idea. Yeah, they're really, they're really. They're sh- they're setting up Discovery to fail by doing that. Yeah, I'm, I I did hear that. I think in some foreign markets, it is going to be airing sensible television. Yeah, on on actual TV. Because like, wait, they're not actually putting it on. TV. It's going to be on CBS All Access, their own little streaming service, because they think people are going to want to pay ten dollars a month to watch The Big Bang Theory on demand. Like, literally, I don't know what's on that fucking network, but there's no way where it's, it's worth like $10 four, a month. It's like, it's like 14 different CSIs or something. Yeah, like, what's going to happen is, what they don't get is, what will happen is they'll see a bit of a spike, because enough of the Trekkies will be like, alright, I don't want to torrent this for some reason, so I'll buy it for the two months Discovery is on, and then I'm canceling immediately. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what I'm going to do, you know, because I, I I want to show, I think it's important that we show that there's a demand for Star Trek. Yeah. You know, I, I, but, I feel like a lot of people are just going to torrent it, and I feel like that's going to send a message to CBS that, oh, well, we put all this money and effort into this and nobody bought it. Yeah. Well, no, they bought it, they want to see it, it's just that you released it in this I mean, shitty medium. Just put it for a season pass on Amazon, it'll do fine. Yeah. You know, they've shown that if you give people easy access to products, piracy goes down. Sure. And the problem is, again, if CBS even just had more to offer. But, I again, literally, it's a bunch of CSIs, the fucking Big Bang Theory, and now Discovery. Yeah, but you know what's funny? You know, people have been asking for decades for a la carte, the cable, like, I only want to buy the channels that I want. Well, now it's like, okay, well, fine, we'll give you the channels you want a la carte. And now we're like, no, we want a la carte shows. We only want to buy the shows we want. Well, I think what it really... I can imagine, like, these some network execs, like, what the fuck? 
Fucking asshole! I gave you Alucard! The problem is they came to Alucard too late. Yeah. Netflix came along, we're like, no, 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 here's how you want it. And we all went, oh, that is what we want. Yep. But now the networks are playing catch up. Wow, we've really gone on yet another odd, odd tangent. It's so a good one. Where, where no man has gone before. Yeah. So one last thing I want to say, and obviously other folks are allowed to have other last thoughts as well. One thing I think that's kind of interesting that is sort of related to this is that a lot of the aesthetic does get set up between these two episodes in some form or another, a little nascent. But um, one thing that's interesting is recently the Smithsonian released a video uh, where they restored the original Enterprise model to its its last known on-screen appearance, which was actually based on apparently the last major change they made to the model. The video didn't say what the change was. Came with the trouble with triples. Hmm. Because the, the Smithsonian model was kind of a mess. They had... Last time they refurbished it, they based it more off the movies. and it was, So anyway, they made it look like it was supposed to. Uh, and what's interesting about it is Star Trek is known as having this very, very clean aesthetic. And on the interior of the ship, that certainly, that is true. It's much neater than anything you're going to see in Star Wars. But one of the things they had on the ship model, they actually did have a fair bit of weathering. Hmm. But the problem is it never came through on screen. Because hmm. it was the 60s and the ship was transparent half the time, if you notice. And by, and by the time we got HD versions of that of the original series, they had replaced the model with a shitty CG model. Well, even if they'd updated the look of the original footage, God knows if it would have come through. True. And then when they made the movies, they'd kind of themselves gotten the idea of like, no, no, even the exterior of the ship is like pristine. Hmm. And that's how we, we have now these pristine Starfleet vessels. But the original model did have, like, not a ton, just had, like, some dirt streaks by the Boussard collectors and the deflector dish and things like that. Hmm. And, again, I think that's really just down to just the film, television film quality of the time. And, again, literally, go back, you watch some old episodes without the CG, and you could see the stars through Enterprise <laughs> a lot of the time. So, yeah, final thoughts, verdicts? I don't know. Well, based on the the first two pilots, I would say this Star Trek program is a very promising show, and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. <laughs> Thank you, Lucille Ball, for making this happen. Kayla? I'm glad I know that the rest of the show is more up my alley than the pilots. The pilots were fine. I just, I'm looking forward to, like, getting more in with, like, the characters I know and love and getting away from all this macabre death shit. I would like more macabre death shit, please. But that may, mm. be, that may just be me. You have to wait for DS9 for that. That's fine. We do get space pimps eventually in TOS. Oh, God. Yeah. That, that's great for all of us. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an episode, you know, Mud's Women is what I'm referring to. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a weird sort of... It's played so lightly. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I look forward to hearing, what, especially what you, Caitlin, think about Mud's Women once we see that one. Cause it's, it's, tell, us, tell us about your space pimps. He's a space pimp. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But Captain Pike had the better space pimp style. That's true. Oh. Pike, Pike's that pimp, cape. Pimp, pimp cape was... Uh, so much better than anything Mud ever yeah, wears. Yeah, Mud was a slob. Yeah, poor fucker. Oh, well, on that note... Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, next week will be episode three, which I believe is The Man Trap and Charlie X. Yes. Again, more crazy mental powers. Great. Flying around. And finally, you know, my personal favorite character from the original series, Dr. McCoy, showing up. Love him. <laughs> Love him. 
For a star to steer her by, I'm Chris. I'm Jake. I'm Caitlin. And this is Ames. Please follow us on Twitter at SSHB Podcast. We're also on Tumblr as SSHB Podcast. And do find and like our Facebook page, A Star to Steer Her By. Thank you.